So as I said, it's beginning today is Trinity Sunday, and um, our particular tradition, we follow a liturgical calendar, meaning we mark the, um, the Sundays of the year, and Trinity Sunday is the last Sunday of before we enter into a long season of what we call um, Pentecost or green growing season. Um, not that that has any uh, great bearing on what I'm going to say today, but I just thought I'd point that out. And the other thing is that as we sang the psalm today, um, I was just touched again by, I heard it this morning, and I'd like to offer that as a prayer. Um, that our God does indeed reign, that, he, that he's over all things, that he's stronger than the chaos in our lives, he's stronger than the, the sea, those things which we're just not really sure about. And the best line for me is, he's stronger than the brokenness that's inside of me. Amen? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, so just a quick contextual for Trinity Sunday. As, um, as the gospel, if you think about it, in the early church, I'm saying 40, 50 A.D. as the gospel, as Gabe mentioned last week, began to spread um, throughout all the known world, um, it became evident as it got into different cultures and different contextual settings that there were certain tenets of the faith um, that needed to be clarified. Um, just That's just basic fundamental thing. There were things about who God was, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who Jesus was, human and divine that needed to be clarified. And, and so they began to work this thing out. I don't want to get into all the councils of the church here, but just know that the early leaders of the church we're trying to figure it out, and they were disagreeing and green and loving each other and disagreeing and loving and, and all those kind of things. And one such tenet um, was the nature of God expressed, they believed and saw in Scripture of, of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, what is that? And we now know that it means a Trinitarian kind of a God and that there's three natures, you know, one person three or three persons in one, one nature. And so... Creator, Redeemer, Sanctifier is another way that they kind of put language on Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I would like to add another one, which I'm going to unpack in, in the message today. Um, the Word of the Father. Not just the Father, but a spoken word. We heard that in the t text from Genesis today, did we not? Moses turned aside and he saw a bush. And when he saw the bush, um, he heard the voice of God, a word of the Father. And then all the texts written, the promises of God, kind of represent the word of the Father. And then the work of the Son, and we heard that also in the text, the work of the Son primarily being what He did on the cross and what He did when He raised from the dead and ascended. Um, do we put our trust in the promises of the word of the Father? And do we believe that the work of the Son was for us or just exclusively for us? Or is it for the whole world? I mean, this kind of the whole Trinitarian thing, word of the Father, work of the Son, and then the witness of the Holy Spirit. And we heard that in the text too, both in the Nicodemus passage as well as in Romans. So it's the Spirit, and this is what Gabe said last week. We have a faith that is what? Spirit-driven is what he said. And so what the Spirit does bears witness to the word of the Father and the work of the Son. The Spirit says, yes, Susan, what God did on the cross is for you. And yes, it's for your neighbor. Yes, it's for all the nations of the world. That's the Spirit of God speaking. And when we confess that, yes, Lord, I believe in you, that's the Spirit of God working in us. When we confess that there's a promise that applies to us, which I'm going to speak to, that's the Spirit of God working in us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all working together. And we see that in creation, do we not? God's redeeming creative work in creation. We see it every spring. 
We see it in our own lives when things are reconciled. We are part of his creation, are we not? God reconciling us and redeeming us and forming us and driving us. So um, that's my Trinitarian sermon. All right. That's basically what I want to unpack. There's a lot more I could say. I could geek out and do theology for you for hours, but I just want to say that. And so listen to this. I believe that our text today, um, born the test of time, just like the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, which are our Trinitarian creeds, um, and they're amazing texts. Um, Genesis, Moses, encountering God at the burning bush. God speaking to Moses. Do we believe God speaks to us like that? And then Psalm 93. I know you didn't have the text of the whole psalm, but Wendell did a great job of summing it up. God's amazing. You know, he's over all things. Basically, he's pretty awesome, we believe. Then Romans 8. Um, I believe Romans 8 is almost like the pinnacle of the New Testament. And which is where I'm going to land mostly today. And then in Nicodemus in John 3. You know, we oftentimes that, that encounter that Nicodemus had with Jesus and talking about being born again, we don't realize that it ends up with that amazing verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So here, everything that Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, he wants to sum it up by saying what? God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. So if the text today says anything to me, it's this. God is not hiding from us. Do you know that? God's not hiding. God is speaking. He's coming. He's giving. He's reigning. He's acting. God is hearing our anguish, our labors. He knows our sorrows, knows our deepest needs. I didn't choose a lectionary text, but I don't know why they stopped at verse 6. Listen to verse 7 of Moses. And Moses, after he hid his face, he was afraid to look at God. God, knowing Moses' concern and sorrows, listen to the next verse. Then God said, Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Isn't that amazing? God's not only listening, he's hearing, and he's coming, and he knows our labors and our anguish. He knows our deepest needs. That's the word of the Father. We believe that. So I believe that in light of all of this, God is inviting us, and he's inviting us. I'm not saying this lightly, but he's inviting us to just get over ourselves. And what I mean by that is this. To get over ourselves and come to Him. To come closer and closer. One of my favorite children's books are Chronicles of Narnia. And the last book, which is the end of the whole story, God has consummated everything. And you want the word to the people that are, have been drawn into Him is? It's further up and further in. And it's repeated over and over in that last chapter. Further up and further in. And I think that's what God's calling us to do. Get over ourselves and come further up and further in, closer and closer to me. God's not put off or shaken by our feeble attempts to, to prove ourselves and to perform. And I know that's a hard thing because when we fail, we just kind of feel unworthy. But God's not put off by that. 
His, he's greater than our brokenness, we sang. God is doing this for us. Let me say that again. God is doing this thing for us, and he's inviting us to join him in this work. It's not the other way around. It's not like we're doing this. God, would you come and help me? It's God's doing it, and he's inviting us to join him in this life of faith, this spirit-driven life of faith we heard last week. So come, he says, come. I mean, I could just quote scripture after scripture. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. Come to me, all. So Romans chapter 8, that's kind of where I want to land and finish with. This is, this is my last page, by the way. This is it, all right? Um, Romans chapter 8. Um, I think it's one of Paul's most potent letters, and um, it's what some have called the Himalayas of the New Testament. So when I say that, what does that say to you? It's like, it's like, it's the highest place, okay? And the text we read today with Jenny read for us, um, it's like Mount Everest. I mean, it's like, it doesn't get any higher than that. So as we approach the Himalayas in chapter 8, the beginning of that, um, let's listen to these words. This is one of my favorite passages. Verse 1 of chapter 8. You know, when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't have chapter and verse. Y'all know that, right? So somewhere along the line, those who canonize the Scripture put it in chapter and verse. So those guys, whoever did it, men and women, chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? As we begin to ascend this place that God wants us to ascend further up and further in, we go with the understanding that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Next verse. For the law of the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. No condemnation because the spirit-driven faith has set us free from sin and death. All right? I've quoted this oftentimes. I'm going to use her as an example in just a little bit. Um, perfect example. Um, and I'm serious about that. I've used it this morning today. Um, Corey Tim Boom um, is one of the great um, protectors of of the Jewish people during the Holocaust. She says this about our past sins. It's like a, a, a pond, and God has put a sign on it, and the sign says, no fishing. You hear that? No fishing in your past. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. So that's like the beginning. Um, so the bookend of chapter 8 um, is this. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that amazing? So in the middle of those two just fundamental, beautiful truths, we have Mount Everest. And Mount Everest has four things I want to pull out. This is verses 14 through um, the end of that section, 17, I believe. Uh, yeah, verse 17. Highest privilege, closest intimacy, deepest experience or deepest knowing 
and the greatest security. So I want to address those four things. Highest privilege, closest intimacy, deepest experience um, or knowing, and then the greatest security. So verse 14 and 15 of Romans 8 says this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, and it says sons, that's sons and daughters, or sons and daughters of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as children of God. Okay? So the highest privilege we have um, is as children of God. Not only just children of God, but as adopted children of God. Have any of you ever been to a, um, an adoptive um, legal service with the judge? Any of you ever been to one of those? It's amazing. And the language that they use, um, I don't know if they knew that, but it's so biblical because what it says is, is this child that I'm adopting, let's just uh, assuming that I'm adopting Graham, um, what the judge would say to me is, now Graham, not that you're not a good father there, but um, if I'm adopting you, um, then what the judge would say is every right that your other children, if you have some, have, or every right that you have is now his. And he gets a new birth certificate. The old one's done. He gets a new name. And in Roman law, and I don't know if this is true in American law, but I know it is in Roman law, if you have a child that's birth child and that child acts up, you can just kind of discard them. But if you adopt a child, it's irrevocable. They're yours forever. Um, there's nothing you can do. We kind of hear that in our baptismal service when we mark a child with the Holy Spirit. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit, and you're marked as Christ's own forever. So when God adopts us, it's, it's irrevocable. He's not backing out on that action. It's the highest privilege we can have as sons and daughters of God. No spirit of slavery. We don't need to fall back into fear anymore. But the spirit of adoption is children. Irrevocable. New birth certificate. New resume. You can stick with your family, Graham. You don't need to come to me. Okay. Um, the second, <laughs> you wouldn't let him go, would you? Uh, the second thing is closest intimacy. Verse 15, just a short word here. And by this adoption, we cry, Abba, Father. You know, um, Taylor up here leading the liturgy, AJ comes up. What father would turn her away? no way. I mean, messing with the liturgy, so what? That's how God is with us. And we call him Abba. Yes, we call him God. Yes, he's awesome. Yes, he's mysterious. But he, he wants us to come further in and further up and have an intimacy where we can say Abba, Daddy to him. Both and respect and wonder, but also intimacy, Abba, Father. So highest privilege, God's calling us to the closest intimacy and then listen to this deep experience here. And this is that, and here's this kind of Trinitarian, I think that's why they chose this passage for this Sunday, the Spirit working in us. And it goes on and says this, fall back into fear, but you receive the Spirit of adoption as Son, by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So, I mean, that's the deep, this is the Spirit speaking to the very depths of our being um, with our spirit that we are children of God, that we have the highest privilege, that we have the closest intimacy. This is what the Spirit's speaking to us. Highest privilege, closest intimacy, 
and the deepest experience of knowing us um, so well. And then the fourth thing is the greatest security. And then verse 17, and if we are in children, adopted children, and we have this highest privilege, I know this is getting redundant here, closest intimacy, um, deepest experience, then we have this security that we're not only children, but we're heirs. We're heirs of God and joint fellow heirs with Christ. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we're in the will. You know, and I kind of made in my notes, I didn't say that this morning, but um, we basically trade our resume um, and Christ gives us his resume. Um, God writes us in the will and we're his irrevocably forever and ever. So when we accept this and that this is true, we accept this and we believe it's true. Um, what God is doing, he's acting, he's revealing, he's hearing, he's listening, he's knowing us, he's knowing us so well. And fundamentally, I think we can loosen the grip that we have on ourselves and we can give it to the spirit. And we can give the spirit, the spirit-driven faith, a chance to work in our life. Patience with ourselves, patience with one another. Give the Spirit a chance to shape and form us into what I really think we all want to be, which is children of God, right? Formed into His image, getting better and better and better every day. That's what the Spirit wants to do, shape and form. That's what I think Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's all about. Um, relationship, in unity, shape and inform us. So just lighten up on yourself, all right? And love yourself the way God loves you. Children of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.